0: This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. Hey Jeff, how you doing?
1: Good, Jonathan, how are you?
0: I am doing well. You ready for this uh, sort of alternate format once again?
1: As ready as I will be.
0: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Excellent. Welcome to Theology on the Go. I'm your host, Jonathan Master, and today I am joined by a kind of guest host, an honorary co-host of Theology on the Go, my friend Jeff Stuyvesant. He is the pastor of Grace Reformed Presbyterian Church in Gibsonia, Pennsylvania. He is uh, the managing editor of placefortruth.org, and uh, so it's always a pleasure to collaborate with him. And, and we're going to be talking today about... Uh, issues related to sexuality. We're coming to the end of a series on sexuality and specifically focusing on how we look at ourselves and and how this changes our understanding of education and the family. And so today what we're going to talk about are the ways in which these issues of sexuality have affected our own families and ministries and the questions that they've raised. And so Jeff, thanks thanks for jumping on board.
1: Well, thank you, Jonathan. It's always good to be with you and uh, talk with you and to visit with you, so it's good to be here.
0: Well, I'm going to start by asking some questions, and then I'm going to hand the mic over to you, because I know uh, in our earlier conversations, we both, I think, had questions for each other. So let me just start off by asking you this, Jeff. How have the issues of sexuality and sexual identity that we've been discussing on the podcast, um, how have you seen those affect the schools and families in in your area.
1: In our area, it uh, we we've basically seen this come to light in about. I think it was about January. Um, a student uh, went home from school, told one of her parents that uh, a boy who was um, who looked like a girl was in her restroom. And that caused the parent some consternation, and she ended up uh, questioning other parents and found out that uh, transgender students were using uh, the restrooms they identified with. And this led to people going to the school board. I actually got involved in about February or March. That's when I I started to hear about it. And um, once it came to light, our school board started making um, announcements that were a bit confused, uh, not well thought out. Uh, and one of them, uh, and the final one, basically said that in this school of, of many, many children, I, I can't remember how many um, off the top of my head, but transgender students were going to be using the restrooms they identified with. But there were six multi-purpose restrooms, um, single stall, that were given to students to use if they felt uncomfortable being in the same restroom with um, a transgender student, and that caused all kinds of uproar, as you can imagine, because you know, for a school with over a thousand students in it, six restrooms is virtually nothing. So anyway, that that's the story um, that was happening in our neck of the woods uh, with regard to the whole issue of transgenders and restroom usage.
0: So, and and just to clarify, when you say your neck of the woods, uh, I mean I've I've visited your home, I've been in your church. It's not a it's in it's in Western Pennsylvania. It's not it's not what you'd think of as any kind of urban area or or a context that might be identified with really uh, progressive kinds of, of of trends. And yet and yet it sounds like what you're saying is it affected the school board. It affected a ton of families, and I'm sure it also. Um, raised questions for families that you know, maybe even ones in your church. And so I'm wondering what kind of questions have you had to answer either for yourself in your own family or for other families you've met regarding Christian anthropology and sexual ethics in light of these controversies?
1: Yeah. Well, let me let me just add this, Jonathan, and this may put it into some context. It, it doesn't feel very progressive around this area, but it is a it is a fast and one of the fastest growing suburbs of the Pittsburgh area. And as I understand it, it's one of the fastest growing suburbs in, in, in our country. It's just, it just always seems to be thriving. And, and one of the dynamics um, to this whole thing is that we have a, a, a particular celebrity who is in the area and there is a, um, a transgendered child in that family. And that really seems to drive a lot of this, or it seems to be driving a good portion of it. So there's there's that behind it. Um, you asked me about the questions that, that, yeah yeah that that I've been asked. Um, well, one of those questions is what does it mean for the church? And I tell you the truth, I've gone to, I've gone to somebody who is. Um, who is in the legal system to ask that question, what does it mean for the church? And they've given me briefs on uh, a lot of the court cases that have come up, and I've, I've read those. And, and um, it's good to have somebody uh, sort of uh, weeding out the ones you ought to read and the ones that uh, may not be helpful to you. But one of the, the summary points of all that reading is that our country is quickly moving to the position um, that says you have freedom... worship, but the constitutional documents, as you know, uh, provide us uh, the freedom to exercise our religion. Um, And obviously the disparity between those two is obvious. So that's one of the questions. Um, I think another question is, what is what does this mean for a transgendered student? And You know, the question I think that people are asking is, is this somebody... Is there something about this person that transcends the physical, so that so that their sex is one thing, but ontologically, sort of sort of transcending the 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 physical, is there something that that they are that they're trying to get to by changing their physical appearance? And I think that you see the difference in the way language is used. Transgender folks used to be called transgendered indicating that it was a physical change. They were once this and now now something different. Um, whereas talking about transgender gives that ontological aspect to it, that that idea that there's something that transcends the physical, something they're trying to to get back to themselves. And I and my friend Rosaria Butterfield actually clued me into this, and, and so I've been trying to use the idea or the term transgendered uh, in my conversations and, and when I'm at school board meetings and things like that uh, because it's pulling it back down to the physical. In other words, uh, this boy is a feminized boy. This girl is a masculinized girl, that sort of thing.
0: I wonder how, to what extent has this, ha- have some of these distinctions and some of these things come up among families that you've dealt with a- as well? Because I felt as if I was fairly familiar with some of these issues, but are these things that you're having to discuss, sort of, with families within your church?
1: Well, yeah, I think you know the the, the thing that I think the thing that most people are asking is something very practical, and and that's. When the school requires my, my son to use a pronoun that doesn't match up with this person's you know, physical gender um, with their sexuality, what do I do? Do I, do I counsel my son or my daughter uh, to call this person by the pronoun that they are in terms of their, their sex or, or do I have them go along with, with, um, with what the transgendered youth wants? You know that's I, that's a very practical question that touches on um, you know Paul's counsel, admonition to speak the truth, and um, and I think that the rubber meets the road in that question because if you tell the if you tell the parents that uh, their children not to speak the truth about the about the person and use the right gender or use the right pronoun, there's punishment that comes with that.
0: So. So, just being truthful um, is is something I mean it's such a basic thing, but it's it's something that you have to kind of remind people of that. This is a situation like many, many situations in which we're called to first and foremost uh, speak the truth.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it comes at a cost, which is I think which is I think the direction that we're headed um, as a church and in this secularized, increasingly secularized society. That we're living in
0: now, um, Jeff. You mentioned your friendship with Rosaria Butterfield. Um, what other resources have you found helpful as you've tried to sort through some of the anthropological issues, even just some of the issues of terminology, uh, which you've which you've laid out? Um, what's What's been helpful to you as you've kind of been thrust into the middle of of this controversy uh, in, in your in your home?
1: Yeah. Um Greg Bonson has a an old book out on homosexuality that's been helpful to me for a number of years. Uh, the one thing that he deals with in that book is orientation versus behavior. And I think he gives a satisfying explanation as to how it is that one can be oriented toward homosexuality. And that can be a rebellious position because of the psychological disposition that one may... Have as a result of the fall and the cumulative decisions and life experiences of that person. Um, so that's been helpful. I think uh, another one that's been helpful is is by um, Robert Gagnon, and um, Robert Gagnon uh, is uh, you'll not agree with everything in that book, but it's uh, it's I think the title of it is the Bible and homosexual behavior, and you can tell by the title there's a difference between um, his view of orientation and behavior which is obviously one of those things that's hotly debated today and uh, so those those two have been helpful resources to me in in the past and obviously Rosaria's books um, her first and also her second book have been have been really helpful
0: yeah that Gagnon book too uh, is is so uh, it's sort of this magisterial treatment if you want exegetical resources on the issue of homosexuality, that's the one to go to for sure. Um, I, w- I would second that. So, Jeff, before I turn the mic over to you, uh, just to kind of crystallize things, you're a pastor. You're in pastoral ministry. This is this has faced you in your community, maybe because of some peculiarities of the community with this celebrity who's there, and 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 the the rapid growth and those kinds of things. But but it's definitely hit you. Um, so what what kinds of counsel or advice would you give to pastors who are thinking, well, perhaps this hasn't hit me yet, or communities uh, of families, it hasn't quite hit me yet, but it's on the way?
1: Yeah, you know, the, the one thing that I would say is be there. I've I've been struck by the number of, of people who are there and will come to me and thank me for being at school board meetings and, and wonder— um where other pastors are and and say things like you know if pastors are the leaders in the community morally speaking then where are they in a situation like this and uh, that's not to say that other pastors have not been there but um, but I think the community is wondering where's the pastoral voice in all this and um, I you know I got to tell you that it, it's it, it's interesting at the same time they wonder where's the pastoral voice but but the community that's sort of mounting the um, the the opposition to what's going on in the school is is also very much wanting to keep the the discussion focused primarily on on privacy and safety and and so I've got to say that my voice bringing in the scriptures has been among the minority voice uh, that's trying to 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 help the community school board and community see that this is a moral issue. It's not just a privacy issue, uh, which entails morality. Um, it's not just a safety issue. It's a, this is, this is, this has deeper roots that can be found in Romans chapter one. So I would say be there, um, and be there for the community and it provides many open doors for outreach as a result. Well, that's what I would say. And, uh, so how about if we turn the the tail (laughs) and, uh, the microphone rather and um and let me aim it at you jonathan is that okay yeah go ahead okay so you are in you're in a college and i would think that this has to be uh an issue that's going through the mind of millennials and 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 there's got to be some open discussion and uh, what's happening at, at cairn that you can clue us into what are the what are the questions that you're hearing from students there
0: I think students are asking two types of questions. One a set of questions has to do with our analysis of where the culture's heading and what that's going to mean for them. Uh, so for a lot of the students, they have uh, traditional Christian positions on these issues, but they know that things are changing. And so they look to their professors and others to sort of help them contextualize these the changes and and maybe even give them some counsel along the lines of what of what you just gave about, you know, how to face this and, and what's it going to look like. And so part of it is that kind of thing, just on the ground guidance and contextualization. And then, of course, because the issues are getting raised, students have all kinds of new questions uh, about the nature of a gender, the nature of our uh, sexual desires and how do we how we deal with um, homosexuality uh, both in the community here and and in as we as we leave the community here. So I think those are the two kinds of questions. One set is dealt with more at an exegetical and theological level. Here's what the Bible says about the nature of humanity. Here's what the Bible says about gender. Here's what the Bible says about marriage and 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 sexuality. And then and then the other is a little trickier because it involves saying, you know, here is the path of wisdom and here are the things to really keep firmly fixed in your view as you as you navigate through the challenges of this uh, of this new context.
1: Do you find as as you talk with these students, do you find that when you bring the scriptures to bear on the conversation and you tell them this is what this is what you need to understand about human nature as it, as we're told in the scriptures do you find that they are eager to believe that or do you find that they're challenged by the world and the voice that's out there from the LGBTQ community to believe them or to sort of create some middle ground?
0: There's a little of both. Uh, we definitely will encounter students who are are w- would push back against uh, biblical perspectives uh, and then and then a lot of students who are eager I will say this. In both of those cases, though, what what I've found is that you really have to be on your game. You have to you have to have really good, uh, well thought out answers. I mean, the Gagnon, the Gagnon book that you were talking about just a minute ago is is a is a helpful resource because he does give significant attention to all the arguments, and that's the kind of thing that seems like it's required. So we have students in both of the categories you described, but. For the most part, I would say they definitely want to hear uh, from the scriptures. But um, but but in, in either case, what they what they aren't settling for, what what doesn't work, is is a sort of superficial engagement. I mean, these are real questions that they are really getting asked by people whom they care about, and and that are really pressing upon them in the culture in which we live. And so, facile answers won't do, uh, for the, for the students that, that I've engaged with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, I'm going to ask you a question that it, that goes beyond the college and then return to the, to the college. But but what I want to ask you is this, you probably see a number of different students from a number of different denominations come through Cairn. And as you do, do you get a sense of the pulse of the church at large of evangelicalism? Uh, do you see, do, what do you see? Do you see there is there is there an attempt to concede to the culture as much as is able? Uh, do you see sort of a, a response that says uh, we're drawing a line in the sand? This far, no further. What What are you seeing?
0: Uh, you know, generalizations are 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 tough. I I, <laughs> I want to be really careful. I mean, because because not because there is such a wide diversity and also. You know, it, it's it's sometimes tough to put put uh, my finger on that, but this is what this is what my sort of gut impression is that okay. um, in general the churches from which our students are coming are are holding the line on these things. However, I do think the students come in with a um, a need and a desire to have more deeply thought-out answers. So in other words, my, my sense, and again, this is open to all kinds of nuance and qualification, my sense is that for many of our students, they have had uh, pastors and leaders who have given them what I, what I think are still the right answers, the truth um, from God's Word about these issues, but perhaps not in a way that was... Um, or, or, or perhaps in a way that would be vulnerable to to a number of challenges um, and to a number of sort of deeper, more c- careful readings. And so, and so you know, it's not that they're they're coming in um, in opposition or in ignorance, but but I think they are recognizing that what they have been given, while it well it may be true, needs to be buttressed further.
1: Okay. Let me ask you this and one of the things that you've said is there needs to be well thought out answers. And what just hit me was how 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 does this topic butt up against postmodernity? So I'm thinking in postmodernity there's there's a challenge to any meta narrative. There's there's a a repugnancy to words like ontology. Um, to talk about the the transcendent is in some circles off limits. Um, so, so when you're con- when you're confined in that way, already to to um, the language you use is being suspect. How is it that you approach these these students? Is there have you found a particular um, angle that works? Have you have you found uh, a common ground that you can use? What is there anything like that that comes to mind? Well,
0: mark? I I don't know that the students are coming with that de- with that degree of skepticism about um, language or ontology in general. Okay. Uh, but what I do think is, and and this this might be just unique to the, the this my particular situation there might be broader trends at work along the lines you're describing But well, what, what, was, what your
1: experience is good then that's great that they're well, not that familiar.
0: that part of it's good but but i will say this that i think i think where where you do see some broader trends intersecting here is there is a um there there is a kind of um escape from embodiment uh that that they understand uh, freedom to consist of that—that that makes some of these things um, uh, yeah, and, and just issues of sexuality in general to be um, uh, less firmly rooted in their minds with 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 bigger questions. So, so in other words, it, to them, it, it, the discussion begins at least just at the level of how should i behave and and they're not mm. in general used to connecting specific behavior, behaviors with a deeper understanding of themselves or the world in which they've lived or their 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 status as as creatures or their status as embodied creatures mm. and so i do think that you know you're right to say that the, this these questions intersect with bigger ones but I don't know if it's exactly along the the lines you drew, uh, although although maybe maybe I just haven't thought subtly enough about it. But but I do notice uh, that that other that other trend.
1: Well, let me let me return to the, the college campus and the government and ask this: what what kind of issues are hitting the college campuses because of these things that are? that are being circulated on a on a state and on a federal level with regard to transgender issues are you seeing any of that
0: So I don't know all the the details of of what's happening administratively and 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 I couldn't speak to that with any authority I do know that there are you know we we have discussions about those things all the time and and just ask the same questions you're asking what are the implications what is what is going on so it's definitely it's definitely part of the conversation where it will come down or what some of the specific issues are on the horizon administratively. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I know that there's a general sense among, uh, faculty and staff members that, you know, these are things that that probably will have a greater influence on what we're able to do or, or, you know, may, may affect us in different ways. Um, so, so, so it's out there, but i I just I just don't know the all the specifics of that,
1: yeah, you know i I think that, uh, as I've thought through what are the implications for something like this, at least for the church, I think the church building is a public place, and you know if a if a transgendered person came into the church, they would be they would be free or at least our state is moving in the direction that they would be free to use the restroom which they identified with and so in a very practical way that would be something for us but when you think long term and and sort of in all of the issues that we're facing think about you know your your grandmother being placed in a in a in a retirement home and her you know her assigned a roommate right that is a man who identifies as a woman, you know, all those little subtleties that you just never think about come flooding in the more you think about these kinds of things. And and I'm with you administratively, politically, um, I'm not, I don't know if I can put my finger on where we are, but it can't be good.
0: Yeah, I, I think, you know, like a lot of things, there are just massive unintended consequences, or at least... Um, you know, consequences that maybe not everyone has thought through very carefully. I don't know whether they're intended or not. Um, and, and you're right. I think the more people think about those, um, the more alarming it becomes and the more, and the more you start to realize we, we need to think really carefully about it and speak up truthfully.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, Jeff, you know, we've been talking for a while and, uh, so I think we probably ought to bring this thing to a close. And uh, in doing that, I just want to remind our listeners that we are so grateful for your listening, and we hope that these things are helpful for you. We're a donor-supported ministry, so if you care to donate, you can do that on placefortruth.org or on alliancenet.org. Um, and and just for listening today, we'd like to provide you with a free resource. And the resource we'd like to give to you is entitled "Hypersexualization in Children and Teens." It's a, it's an MP3 download from an Alliance event that we think might be helpful to you in thinking about this more. And once again, thanks for listening to Theology on the Go. It's a brief interview about an eternal truth.